Hey everyone, welcome back to The Real Story Podcast. Okay, today's guest, Judy Holler, might be one of the most energetic, enthusiastic, positive guests we have ever had on this show. So not only is Judy Holler an author, she's a keynote speaker, she's a thought leader, a podcaster. Her podcast is amazing, by the way. It's called Yes And, and we get on uh, get into that a little bit today. She got her start in improv, which is so cool. And we talk about the importance of improv in daily life and the importance of play. But she is also the creator and CEO of the House of And, uh, which is a bespoke methodology and lifestyle brand that helps teams, companies, and just humans open the door to what is possible. And after listening to this conversation today, you will believe in what is possible. You will look at different ways that you can incorporate joy and play and take risks in everyday life. I think for so many of us, we've gotten into this kind of daily grind, groundhog day, believing we can only be happy if this happens. Once we get here, then we can be happy. Once we get the promotion, then we can relax. Once we get the raise, then we can do this. Instead of just manifesting on a daily basis how you want to feel and really digging into the journey of all of it. And she goes through her amazing publication process. So she is someone who chose a hybrid publisher, sold 100,000 copies of her incredible book um, that we get into today. And she really takes us through that process because so many of us want to get traditionally published. We're afraid to self-publish because we don't want to take on all of the responsibility for ourselves. But in her book, um, Fear is My Homeboy, what a fun <laughs> what a fun um, title that is. She really gets into exactly how she did it. And we really talk about making the investment in yourself because if you don't, no one else will. Um, it's just the most positive inspiring, motivating conversation. Her energy is palpable. She is such a supporter of other humans and women in particular. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with the sensational Judy Holler. Hey guys, I'm Rhea Fry, best-selling author, business owner, wife, mother, but most of all, I'm a human. And I'm Joe Tower, entrepreneur, producer, editor, husband, son, and I am also a human. As writers, we're always digging behind the story of publishing, ego, process, to get to the deeper truth of who we are and why we're here. While we're still pursuing that mission of the Right Way podcast, we wanted a platform where we could talk about being writers as well as being human. Now we'll be spending each episode talking with real people about real shit. This is the real story. First of all, Thank you for being on this podcast. We were just talking about before we started recording that we're kind of fangirls of each other and it's the power of social media. I don't know if we would have been introduced to each other otherwise. So one positive <laughs> social media. Yes. But you are a woman of so many talents, which we're going to talk about today. But I would love for you to just kind of give a brief little intro about who you are and, and what you do. Mm, I love it. First of all, yes. And so excited to be here. <laughs> See what I just did there. We'll talk about yep. that. Yes. Uh, but yeah, it's, 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 there are so many things to be frustrated, frustrated about in the world and social media and, and 
the interconnectivity that can sort of steal our peace and our joy is a big part of that. But you know what? Instead of focusing on what can go wrong, let's flip that script. What, what's right about it? And I think if you have boundaries around it, you could turn it into uh, a really beautiful gift. So you're one of those gifts. And I agree. And you know, if you're listening to this right now and you're struggling um, with social media or technology or self-doubt or all the comparison that kind of lives inside of that, you know, um, scrub that feed. Make sure you've got people in your in your feed that uh, teach new things and 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 open new doors for you. Um, uh, but lean into what's right about it because there's a lot of great people out there doing good stuff in the world, and you're one of them, my dear. So oh, I agree, right back at you. That said, so if you would if you were to ask me who like who I am like at my core, I think today, 2022. March, 2022, Judy would say like, I'm a generator, right? I'm a generator. I make shit happen. Can we cuss on this pod? Uh, (laughs) It's like our favorite word. Okay, good. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Is that an energy design type? Are you a generator? Yes. So I am a generator. And I feel like even before I did that work, when it was it was like, oh, of of course, like, of course, right? Um, You know, if you think back on your life and you think about that one thing you hear about yourself, like if you're lost right now and you're like, well, what am I? Like, if someone asked me that question, what am I? Like, what is that thing you get complimented on all the time? Like, what is that thing you hear about yourself all the fucking time? Like, what is that email you always get? What is that compliment you always receive? Like, what do you always get tapped on the shoulder for? And for me, as long as I can remember And I don't know how to turn it off. And I don't know if I ever want to, because it's just who I am, but it's my energy. You know, that is the one thing I have heard about myself. So when I started my business and I really began this journey um, from building a career in corporate sales and marketing in the hotel industry to transitioning to entrepreneurship and writing and improv and all those things, I went all in on that first. I said, okay, if I know my superpowers generating, making shit happen, using my energy to help other people make change or to help people make decisions. Um, when I was in sales, I would use my energy to orate and tell stories. And that was always a gift of mine. How can I go all in on that first and then build my business around the energetics that make up who I am as a generator? Um, so that's who I am. I'm a generator. I make shit happen. And I use that energy, uh, right now, to take the ideas from the improv theater and help people use them to make shit happen in their lives. I love it. So your energy, because energy is such a huge thing. And I feel like everyone's lacking energy and we have things sucking our energy all day long, but is that just innate for you? Like what do you do anything to boost your energy on a daily basis? Or is it just a hundred percent? This is who you are. And it's just natural comes naturally to you. Good question. So I, I, in full transparency, you know, some people, um, like you go to the gym and you work out and you're like, dude, I do all the right things, but like, she's just got that six pack. Some people have these very blessed genetics and their body is just able to look a certain way. And it is because it's who they are. And I, I think I have a little bit of that. I think it's who I am. My six pack is my energetic, um, (laughs) gift, if you will, that said, There's this great Brendan Bruchard quote, and he says, power plants do not have energy, they generate it. Love it. So I, although I wake up most days pretty 
energized and I feel pretty good most days, I do work hard as hell to protect that and to make yes. sure it remains that way. So to answer your question with some tactical things, uh, yeah, I get good sleep. I move my body. I lift weights. I drink a lot of water. I'm, I'm manage my booze. Um, yeah. that's something that really, um, I really took head on in, in 2021, like I took 11 months off just yep. to reset um, the shit show that that was becoming. Um, so that oh. has helped me sort of like reset, like, cause it just, it's a depressant and it was fucking up my hair and my skin and my weight and everything. Right. So I watch my booze. Um, I try to eat well. I laugh a lot. Like I laugh. Huge. Yes. Like it's one of my things before bed, uh, besides reading fiction, as I work <laughs> through all your books, babe, um, I always read fiction before bed or I'm watching something really snappy. Like I'm watching Maisel. I'm watching comedians in cars getting coffee. I'm watching a Tracy Morgan special. I'm watching some polar. Like I laugh, I get my head out of the day and into, and can I say something really cool? So when we go to sleep, and I think a lot of people forget this, we actually, our cells, our little, all of our brain cells in our brain literally recreate themselves. Like they turn over and you sort of truly rebuild yourself and yes. repair yourself in sleep, which is why sleep is so important. But you also can reset some of these things happening in your brain, like all these cells. And I have found, I, I've been playing this game and maybe you play the game too. This is your like little homework assignment if you're listening. So like right before bed, I make sure something really positive um, and light is in my, especially with how heavy the world is, um, yes. is in my head. But I also sort of have been writing down right before I get, go to bed, I keep this little journal and I write down like my deepest desire, my biggest dream. And I ask for it. Like I ask for what is supposed to be to kind of be revealed to me in my dreams. Right. And what I have noticed is my fucking dreams are changing. Like they're Things are sort of, sort of coming to me. Ideas are sparking. I'll get up at 3.30 in the morning and like write something down. So play this game with the universe, with yourself and ask for what you want. Ask for what you're lost on to sort of come to you in your slumber. And it might not come right away, but then pay attention and watch what happens to your dreams. And more importantly, how you feel when you get up the next day, you'll have a different energy. So those are like Love Little it. things I do. My God, I work so hard on protecting, blocking people out, unfollowing oh. people that suck, saying goodbye yeah. to relationships that don't work, saying no. Yes. <laughs> I need to say no. Like it all helps. It all helps. I take like, I have become so crazy about protecting myself from other people's energy. And I do like the Epsom salt baths every night. And I have crystal mm. and just real in doing flower essences to really try to like just separate that energy, but dreams. Oh my gosh. What a powerful tool that no one really talks about. They think you have to be a hundred percent woo woo. Like, Oh, I'm going to keep a dream journal or whatever, but it is, it is such a powerful tool. And like you just said, putting something positive in your mind, instead of like, Oh, this is my to-do list. And I have to do this, this, and this tomorrow, which most of us do. Um, I love, love that tip. Well, and think um, about it, Rhea, like one more thing on this, like yeah. If you have bad dreams or you're not dreaming or you wake up and you're irritable or you're not feeling good, think about what you're thinking about right before you go to bed. Like yes. if, all, if you're scrolling Fox and CNN and all the stuff no. right before bed, well, no wonder, you know, it, but if you, you know, it's like you're planting a garden, like people forget about that. Like you're a garden. It sounds so 
cheesy, but like, yo, what are your seeds? And if you want weeds to grow, you yep. know, then keep putting that in your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just find when I put the joy and, and it sounds so cheesy, but it really does help me. Like, you know, and I struggle with depression, anxiety, all of that. And for me, it is an intentional choice because I know that if I go too deep into the dark side, yep. I may not come out. So I have to run these reps. Like I have to get strong here or else, you know, we've got a bigger problem on our hands. Well, and we're also so hyper-connected. I mean, it's so hard to disconnect. And I made a decision a long time ago, like I do not read the news or listen to media. Like I don't consume that because it just makes me feel terrible. News has always made me feel terrible. I'm like, where's all the good news? This is ridiculous. So I made, I made the choice long, long, long ago. And even with everything that's going on in the world, I find that I, people will still tell me and I can still find out what's going on, but that's been a game changer for me, for my physical health, emotional health, mental health and well-being is to just not, you know, tune into that because there is so much fear and worry. And, um, speaking of fear, I I want to talk about your author journey a bit. So on Mm. this podcast, we really kind of lift that curtain for people and talk about what the publication experience is really like, what they need to know, what they don't need to know. But you wrote a book, Fear is My Homeboy, which was published in, it was published in 2019, right? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And I love that you're still talking about it and promoting it several years later, which for so many authors today, that does not happen. It's like, we put a book out we talk about it for six weeks and then it's like, oh, on to the next book and on to the next book and on to the next book. So you were doing everything correctly in that you have a book and then you will hopefully continue to promote and talk about that book for the long haul because it is evergreen and fear is such a topic that everyone can relate to. But I'd love to know a little bit about why you decided to write a book about that subject and then also what your path to publication was like. Oh, I love it. So why I chose to wrote the book, um, it all began when I lit the match of studying improv theater at Second City in Chicago at their conservatory. So I was working corporate by day, improv by night. I was learning very quickly how different those two worlds were. And I was learning how to reframe my relationship with fear. So I would do all this stuff at Second City. I would fail. I would make mistakes. I would um, celebrate those failures, make those mistakes, like being told to fail, right? I was like, what? I can fail. I can look stupid. I can be myself. I was learning how to ask for what I want. I was, I was just embracing all the things that made me exactly me. Um, and that made me a really confident improviser and a very playful and collaborative improviser because I realized it was never about me. It was always about the ensemble because that's improv, right? And so that bled right over into my professional life because I started to get really brave on stage, which made me really brave in the boardroom. I would ask for the raise. I would put myself out there. I'd give the presentation. I'd do the magazine interview. I'd dump the shitty guy. I'd go on the blind date, like whatever. I was just doing brave stuff. And then I was like, oh, wait, this isn't just about like, yes, and and no mistakes, only gifts and all those ideas, incredible and very powerful. This is about fear. This is about being brave enough 
to fail, being brave enough to ask for what we want, being brave enough to set boundaries um, and root our boundaries in goals so we can go really have more joy in life. Um, like you'll never have that joyful life if you're not brave enough to do the uncomfortable things required in order to earn it, right? So what I realized was that, oh my God, this is like actually the best lesson. It's like fear boot camp, if you will. Like I was like, I always made the joke, like it's like I'm doing fear yoga five times a week. You know, I would go and just like flex that muzzle, muscle and get really strong. So that led me to blogging about it, writing about it, giving free speeches anywhere I could, asking my, my boss to lead the sales meetings. I mean, people were so sick of hearing me talk about improv, right? And fear and all these things. And all of a sudden, Rhea, somebody was like, oh, I'd love for you to come to my organization and speak about it. And I was like, great. I'm like, how many vacation days do I have left? And they're like, oh yeah, great. And we'll pay you X. And I was like, Oh, and I started getting paid. So I'd side hustle, use all my vacation days, turned it into a keynote speech and just started putting it on stages, quit my job in July of 2016 to do it full time. Before I had the book, we start before we're ready. I think some of the best books are born through the experiences of like living it. I wouldn't have been ready to write this book you know, in 2010, when I was taking improv, I needed to learn first. Right. So I quit my job and put it on stages and met a lot of people and built a community. And I think what's important for your aspiring authors to really, or authors who are resetting, thinking of um, a book or they're like, oh, you know, it feels so impossible and so overwhelming. And don't you have to have a big following and the followers and the likes? Okay. Totally. <laughs> when I launched my book, so I quit my job in 2016. I think, oh shit, I'm onto something. We let the talk ride, build this community. 2018, I write, you know, I do sign the deal with Greenleaf and I kind of hybrid published this book. Greenleaf is a hybrid publisher. So I remained in control um, of the process, but it wasn't like I got an advance. So I invested in this book. Oh. And uh, when it came out in 2019, May of 2019, I had hmm, 1800 followers on Instagram, maybe 2000, maybe. Yo, yeah. okay, right now I have 27,000 followers and fucking yeah. followers, to be honest. Like, I'm yeah. so grossed out by it. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, yeah. I'm truly real. When did like 270 people, 75 people not become enough? Like, if 275 people came into my living room, I would be the queen, right? I'd be like, oh my God, look, it's packed. <laughs> it's my biggest thing. And, and like, when we're talking about this, and I talk to these agents, and like, oh, they need 50,000 followers or they need this or that. And I'm like, we were never meant to connect with thousands and not even hundreds and hundreds of people. Like it's not a normal thing, not in business, not human to human. And it's, it's one of my biggest pet peeves because it's so much about the following and the following and the following. It's not, I mean, you'd be better off to have 200 like true loyal fans than 30,000 people that may or may not see what you post and click and half of them don't buy more than half of them don't buy. But, um, but yes, you're so, you're so correct. Continue. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden 275 people is not enough. Like, no. and I know we're all guilty of it. Like someone connects with you and I, you know, I found myself doing it for a while where you go to someone's profile and you're like, Oh, are they legit? Oh, she's got 275. Followers. She not. So anyway, let's just reset that and normalize yeah. the fact that it's yes. all bullshit and it could go away at any second and, second and it's happening to people. So do you have good ideas? 
Do you have the ability to orate and tell your stories? Do you have a home base, a website, a, a list, um, a community that people that you own that you can come back to? So I had a great list. I had a, a website. I was writing regularly in this newsletter I've been putting out for 10 years, right? And so my little 1,800 followers helped me blow this baby up. I now have, you know, 27,000 followers. It's here nor there, but our list continues to grow. And I have built this book from 1,800 followers to almost 100,000 books sold worldwide Amazing. all on my little own. You know what I mean? That's not too shabby. So can you talk about how you did that? Because that's the thing. Yes. People are like, okay, growing the community is one thing. Writing the book is one thing. Publishing the book is one thing. But selling do it. Yeah. Oh, it's the I biggest know. thing, right? Like you could have everything set up correctly, but to get someone to pay $25 or $15 can seem almost impossible. So I'd love for you to talk about that strategy. Yeah. And it can feel really gross. Like sales yeah. feels so gross. And <laughs> I think to most creators like us, it's like, yes. oh God, do I have to launch the host the book launch party? I am so scared. Now I have to invite people to this. And, and for so long, you're like me, 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 me. Look at my book, look at my work and all this. Okay. But what I always rooted it in was the problems I was solving. But also I knew that if I didn't share it what and it just sat on a shelf and collected dust like no one in the world would understand its life-changing lessons and I just had to like remove that fear so what I did is I sort of um I I brought people in it began at the beginning so when I started with my little 1500 person following, um, which by the way, isn't little. When I started with my smaller following, yeah. <laughs> I was like in my pajamas in my office with the candles and the coffee and the music, bringing people into the, how I write. Like, I love when you're in your like little tiny house thing yeah. and you're bringing us into this sacred space. Yeah. Like, you know, you're not giving me all your trade secrets or you're not revealing the end of the book, but you're showing us like I'm here and this is what I do. And I'm sitting down and I'm so excited. That is a soft sell. So yeah. I, so by the time the book came out, there were thousands of people who were like, I've been watching her write this Absolutely. for like a year and a half. So start at the beginning, get the book out, but remember, and this was a great, and honestly, along the journey, I'm not even sure how I learned this or who told it to me. Um, but it was like, once your book comes out, it's actually not over. It's just beginning. It's just beginning. I say that all the time. Just yes. beginning. You need like the three year, not like I'm a, I'm not a big, like three year strategic plan person because I'm an improviser. So I plan, but I remain flexible. Um, I, I knew that this was like the long game. Like I knew that it was once that book came out, it was time. So my book is a personal development book. And if you're in that space, the biggest thing that helped me was, um, I'm a speaker. I was a speaker first. And so I'd put those ideas and that content. I wrote a talk called Everyday Improviser to back up the ideas in the book. And I put that talk on stages um, all around the United States and beyond. And every time I'd speak, people would go get the book because they knew it was an opportunity. I'd have clients buy in bulk. So that helped me a little bit, not a ton of that. So I think my speaking, my public platform helped me. And that was very strategic. And I'll say one more thing to you. Um, and I, I've said this on multiple podcasts 
podcast, even when I got on with my pu- my publisher, um, I said, listen, a lot of people grow up and they're like, oh, I want to write a book. Like they know real, like you, you grew up, you're like, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to write fiction. This is what I'm going to do all these things. And I have a feeling there's going to be a nonfiction book up your sleeve about the writing process. Who knows where you'll go, oh, but I, yeah, I can I see really, that for you. I, I'm like the fact that I haven't done that. I've written nonfiction, but that's what I thought. On yeah, your Amazon. I thought this, I saw that. Yeah. About this methodology. Um, yeah. But what I would want to write is uh, no publisher would want to publish it because I'd be telling the truth. The so truth. I'm going to have to self-publish that, which I'm fine with. It's the one thing I haven't done, but I would love, like, talk to me a little bit about the hybrid experience. Cause I think a lot of people are very, they don't understand the hybrid um, model. We talk a lot about that on this show, but like they want the traditional publishing because they want the validation. They want the acclaim. They want the awards but they also want the autonomy and control that comes with self-publishing, but maybe not have to do everything on their own. So did you enjoy the hybrid experience? Would you do it again? Um, Do you still think about getting traditionally published or would you self-publish? I love it. So I have self-published a workbook and I have self-published my planner. Our planner is called the possibility planner. And then I have a a workbook on KDP that we made with my graphic designer and had professionally edited, but I wrote. So those were the three people involved and it's on KDP. It's like a supplement to my book, book fear is my homeboy. So we've got two self-published works, one hybrid work. And if you ask me about traditional, I mean, you know, I'm a human being with an ego. I think anybody who writes (laughs) is like, oh, I want the check. I want the six figures. But you know, at the end of the day, what you need to remember is you get the check. You're still doing the work. No one's marketing you for you. Uh No one's showing up for you and sell. like, no one's going to sell that book for you, but you. So diversify your business so that you can move it. And so what I loved about the hybrid process, and let me back up to the point that I was going to make right before this beautiful question was that in full transparency, I, a lot of people dream of writing a book, right? I, I never... I dreamed of speaking. That was my passion, like to, to, to orate professionally, to tell stories on stage. That's what I've always wanted to do. And I knew a book was going to legitimize me in that. Yes. So I almost wrote the book because I knew it would open a lot more doors for me as a professional speaker. And that is the truth. It is like the best business card on the planet. (laughs) That is exactly what you need to do. And that's why we need books. It does help legitimize your brand or business, land you more speaking gigs or open up different revenue streams, whereas fiction's totally different. But I mean, I think that is the reason to have a book because a lot of people who write nonfiction, they're not writers, they're not authors, they're not growing up thinking like, man, I want to, you know, be be this author, yeah. you need it to help with everything else that you're, you're doing. So I think that's so. Yeah. And look, it's spun off into a workbook and yeah. courses and speeches and a planner and a community, blah, blah, blah. So when I was starting this, you know, I was making some money as a keynote speaker, but what I loved is that about the hybrid deal. And, you know, I had done a little bit of research. I didn't know enough. I had some most of my friends had written books. Most of my keynote speaking friends had written books at this point. So I had a lot of people to tap, you know, self-publishing is great. Um, but I knew I wanted to be in airports and in Barnes and Noble. And can I just say something about airports? A lot of people don't know this. I and mean, you've probably talked about it. You have to write a big old check to be in an airport. Oh, yeah. beyond. Like, this yes, isn't yes, like, yes, oh, yes. look at me. I'm so fabulous. And I'm in Chicago's O'Hare. It's like, no, babe, I wrote a check to be in Chicago's O'Hare airport. Like, so, you know, 
this is why having that job, having supplementary income, having a way to fund some of this is, is kind of important. So I wasn't, I was an unknown person. I wasn't going to get this traditional book deal. I didn't even know how to get an agent. I didn't know what to do. I'm kind of a nobody. I didn't understand the process of a book proposal at this time or how to truly write one that sticks. So I started investigating the hybrid model. And what I liked about it is that it was like almost like an a la carte. So you, you, you know, you're paying, you're not getting in advance, but you have full control. Like I yes. own it and I could, I can edit things. Like initially we did um, the audiobook with them, found out it wasn't lucrative. So we pulled it away from my publisher and I put it up on Audible myself. And now we're making a check every month. And that is like tripled what we were making. So it gives you why I love it, Rhea. I don't know how you feel about it, but I love the flexibility. It's still legit. We had a team selling us in the Barnes and Noble. I could get into airports. I'd have to write the check, but I felt like, and I had beautiful design and oh my God, my developmental editor, April, who April Murphy, who let me write this book. She's now with Keller Publishing. I mean, phenomenal experience. We wrote this book together. Um, I felt like I got everything I needed from the big girl author experience. Um, you know, and we became a bestseller on Amazon. And like, I got all that without signing away my rights without, you know, I had control of how the cover looked and like all that stuff. And that was important to me. I wanted to drop F-bombs when I wanted to drop an Uh F-bomb. And not have anyone censoring. I mean, that's the thing, like what people want to be traditionally published, but like that book does not belong to you. The moment it is handed, the moment you sign that contract, it does not belong to you anymore. And especially for nonfiction fiction, we can get around that a little bit, but when it's nonfiction and it's your IP and you're using it in all these different ways, that does not feel good or comfortable. Um, one thing we talk about a lot is, is money and being very transparent about, I've been transparent. I've spent over $150,000 over these four books, like marketing publicist events that my publisher would not pay for just throwing anything at the wall and hoping it sticks and not making smart decisions. But can you give people a ballpark? Because I know you went like all out for this and, and did have, it seems like you had a very good ROI with this experience, but what is, do you have an idea of like what the average spend would be yeah. to be a hybrid publisher? And if you wanted to get in airports or you wanted to get in Barnes and Noble, like, what are you looking at spending? Love it. I, and can I just say, I applaud you so much for talking money. Um, no Thank you. No one does it. I mean, it's like, oh, you know, you go like I have always found, especially women to women, when I was moving up in corporate, I would be like, so what do you make? Like, let's talk about. No, you're getting underpaid. Like, go here. Here's what I make. Here's what my speeches are. Here's where I started. Here's how I grew. Come on, like, think in abundance. Get it. Think in scarcity. Get it. So I'm I'm happy to help because you know, right now, if you've got a book on your heart, you're a little notepad out. You're crunching some numbers. You're like, how am I going to afford this? What do I need to save? How hard do I need to work to bring this into my life? What jobs do I need to take on? Well, you know, all that. So, and again, I haven't looked at my contract in a minute, but I'll give you ballpark numbers. 
I think my initial contract, you know, to do the deal. And I picked like everything from um, them helping me reach out to find endorsements. Like no one knew me. So endorsement support to developmental editing, to editing, to graphics, to a sales team, helping me get in Barnes and Noble to, um, you know, that same sales team, you know, selling me, even though I'd write the check to get into the airports, all of that. Right. Um, I think it was like 45, $50,000, something like that. And then airports, um, there's so many, there's like different tiers based on like which, um, cause there's different airport bookstores. Right. And so based on how many you want to be in and which like O'Hare's price point and the big airports price, points like LAX O'Hare, all these have are more expensive to be in than like Tampa and St. Louis. Right. So I think I was writing and keep in mind six months after I wrote this big check, a global pandemic happened. Right. So we, I got to stay in airports all 2020, even though no one was in them. Like my book's one year anniversary was like middle of the pandemic. I know Jess, our mutual friend, like same thing books coming out and all this. So, um, so I think it's like, you know, to be in an airport for three months, I think the deal, I was like a 20,000, I mean, guys, a $20,000 check I wrote and I was in probably 150 airports across the globe uh, or yeah. across the United States. Um, and I was in for three months. So, yeah. you know, um, but again, there's a little, there's an ego play involved there. Um, you know, for sure to be in fully transparent, it is super dope to see your book in airports. I have bought so many books in airports. It is like this thing. I almost wanted that more than I wanted. You know, I was just like, you know, this little girl from St. Louis who made straight C's like I have written a book and it's in an airport. Right. So, um, so I did that and it was awesome. And I honestly, I got booked the way we, I validated it was that, yes. you know, if you think of what my keynote speeches cost, if I can invest 20 K in this and I can book, you know, yes. one or two keynotes. Okay. You know, we, we, we've paid yes. for it. Right. So that was about $20,000, but you could get into airports for 7,500 just depends on what market you want to be in. But again, you're close to 10 K. And then I think like the marketing of the book, like, I got lucky that, you know, my book launch party was complimentary. I had um, to pay for the food and beverage, but it was sponsored by a friend who ran a venue. So I worked, did a lot of that hustling, working with friends to, you know, make it mutually beneficial. But I would say all in all, fear is my homeboy from, you know, 2018 when I signed the contract to like pandemic because everything yeah. kind of seized at pandemic. I mean, 80,000, $90,000 yeah, I mean, investment. And people are like, oh, I can't do that. But I'm like, I'm traditionally published and I've spent yeah. $150,000. Like, yeah. I mean, are you kidding? And then yeah. when I earn out my advance, so I have to sell so many copies before I right. start selling royalties. I only make a dollar mm. a book. Can yeah. you, sp- I know it's a little bit different model depending on yeah. you know a hardback, a paperback, audio book, ebook. But with hybrid, is there a rough like dollar amount that you're getting uh, per sale? Like, so if you sell, if you sold a hundred thousand books, like what can someone kind of expect to make? Cause it's going to be more than a dollar a book. Oh yeah. I wish I had that percentage. I know for audiobooks, it's like 80, you something crazy. Like if you're yeah. self-published on ACX, like if sure. you throw your audiobook and get that up yourself, record it, whatever, get it up there yourself. I, I 70% profit. I think my royalty checks from Amazon every month are like $2,000 for yeah. my audiobook, just was, my audiobook. Amazing. Yeah. It was made once and I have not, I don't do it. Like, it's 
it's kind of a no-brainer. You can't do that in a traditional model. You have to stick. So you, this is a, a and it's a, it's basically like self-publishing your audiobook. By the way, Mel Robbins does that. All her stuff is self-published. That's how she started. Five seconds rule was self-published. Yes, it is, and no one, yeah. no one like seems to to realize that. But one hundred percent, it goes yeah. back to be good, have yes. great ideas, and be able to orate them. And so you look at Mel; she's selling but yeah. she's teaching and that's what sells her ideas. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, not that you need to take the Mel Robbins bottle, but I would say for my book, Oh, I wish I had the number. It's something like 45 to 55%. Like, so, you know, I'll get so, three to yeah. four royalty checks exactly. a year and um, they come every three months for like the six months previous. So it's really weird. Like I'll get paid out this summer on Christmas sales and those yeah. can be anywhere from, I bet I make on my book and keep in mind, I've sold just under a hundred thousand copies, yeah. a great amount of books, but it's not like I'm Brene Brown. Sure. And I'd say I make 80. I have probably made on my book so far to date, $150,000 um, in royalties. So I have earned back what I've invested yes. and now I'm in the, I'm in the green. Okay. And I mean, that's the thing, like for, you're making 45 to 55% royalties, traditional publishing, everyone hear this 7% is what I get on paperback sales, like 7%. And then I get paid twice a year, every six months. And it is just mind boggling, mind boggling. Um, yeah. yeah. So really start to do the math Different and world. To start to think about it, you know? And I feel like this model, I mean, Rhea, it's got to be disrupted at some point. I mean, it's, it's, the, it's so old school and it it's such antiquated and it's I mean, so fear-based it's very like oh well if you want to be anything if you want and if you're not with this publisher this publisher you're not legitimate if you don't hit this list or that list and what a lot of people don't realize and listen this isn't me bashing anything it's me just speaking the facts a lot of people pay their way onto some of these lists a lot of people on the covers the covers yes. of magazines their their publicist is paying big money it's to get in there Doesn't I mean, just say it's pay to play it is pay to play like you can pay your way onto the new york times you can pay your way sure onto it's not an even playing field. And that's why we, with our clients, like we really discuss what their goals are because yes. so many people say, I want to be a New York times bestseller. I want to be on the today show. But then when we really start digging into their business or their platform, that's actually not what they want. That's not going to be advantageous to them. It's all ego. And it's what we're taught to want as a writer. Those are the pinnacles of success. It's like nothing exists in between. And it does have to change. I have a, a group of women. We're all like trying to overturn this patriarchal antiquated model of publishing and just disrupt it. It needs to be disrupted. And it starts with the authors. Like we have to stop giving away our power. We have to start advocating for ourselves. We have to start asking better questions and fighting for our own material, you know? Mm, I love it so much. You know, keynote speakers, um, you know, have, have sort of had a similar um, banding together over the years because for a long time, speakers would just give away free speeches to get exposure. And I think that's great. I mean, I did that a ton in the beginning. You have to, you have to have tape of yourself and photos and all this stuff. You have to have examples of your writing in order to get booked. Um, but if we do this too much, we create this bad 
habit of like, oh, well, she does it. Or, you know, if you want this stage for 20,000 people, all the other speakers have done it for free and look at how famous they've become. And then it's like, well, hold on. <laughs> like, okay. so what is the measure of success? What is happiness and joy really? What are you, what are your real goals? Um, okay. Because some, you know, then you can start to figure out like, where's ego here? Where's fear here? And then where am I in the in-between of that, you know? Exactly. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And uh, speaking of things I love, I love your podcast. So you also have a podcast called Guessing. I use that phrase literally all the time. I think it's so important as a business owner, a mom, a wife, a friend, whatever, to really think about that phrase and what it means um, in my life. But can you explain what this phrase means to you? Um, and how we can use it in our I love it. lives. <laughs> I love it so much. So yes, and. So yes, and is literally the first thing you learn in any improv theater across the world. The first thing, you're, it's, our, it's our heartbeat. It's um, the core tenet. It's literally how we learn to improvise without a script. And if you're not familiar with the improv theater, that's the catch. Improv theater is is unique because we have no script. The plot, the storyline, the characters, the dialogue, it's all made up as we go. And I wanna tell you something right now, Rhea and I have actually been improvising for the last uh, 30, 40 minutes. <laughs> I did not have a script, right? Nope, we don't have either. a script. And I think so many people think like, oh, I could never do that. I'm like, did you wake up today and breathe oxygen? Yes. Uh, did you have a conversation with your child? Uh, did you do, did you go to the gas? Like what you are in, like, we're really doing it every day. So yeah. I just want to empower you with that first and foremost, but, but in the improv, we use yes. And first to learn how to move things forward. So someone would give us a suggestion on Sage. We would say yes to accept it, to hear it to allow it to enter the collective space, to agree, most importantly, to agree, because when we don't yeah. agree, we hit a freaking brick wall and we all know no people. We all know, yes, but people. These are people yes. that like you literally work with them and you hit a brick wall, right? Yeah. Um, so yes, acceptance, agreeance, and movement. Yes, I've heard what you had to say, now here's where I'm going to take it. Yes. And yes. And, and then we go down this beautiful um, rabbit hole together of exploration and play. And whenever we're stuck on a stage or in life, we can actually borrow this exact idea to figure out what to do next. And I think as a creative, as a writer, as a mom, as a human, as someone moving through extreme collective trauma right now, coming out of a pandemic and into the uncertainty that is the world right now, we can sort of use the and to decide how we want to handle what comes next. And I think it's a really powerful way to not only move scenes forward in the improv theater, but truly the scenes of your life. Because here's the thing, saying yes is not enough. No. And I think people think it is. They're like, yes, I say yes all the time. I'm a yes person. I say yes, I go on. Okay. Uh, but you can say yes and still be complacent. It's like, what are you going to do about it? You hear, you hear this a lot in social change and justice and in the world, like everybody agrees there's a problem, but no one does anything about it. No one, you know, writes the check or calls their senator or makes a donation or picks up the phone or supports. We click a button, we yeah. click a button to like, or we comment. I mean, that's what we do. Right. And so it, the and is our wake up call. You know, I always liken it to like Batman and Robin in the improv theater. It was like, yes, was always the star. And it's like, well, hold on a second. Actually, and 
is the star and is Batman. And yes, is Robin, because it's like this bat signal goes up into the sky. Okay. And it's like, okay, yep. Something's going to happen. Yes, yes, yes. And then the bat signal is the reminder. Okay. That means we got to do something about it. The bat signal is up and, and you're not going to get very far without your Robin. Right. So like, yeah, you need the, yes, you need to get your, your feet moving, right? You got to get yourself in the game, but nothing's going to happen if you don't say, and so improv theater is really rooted in that because it keeps us moving. Uh, but what I'm doing now in my work, and as we work on the next book and all of that, we're really leaning into the transformative power of, and, and how that is the unlock to uh, what comes next. I love that. I love that. And it just like circling back to improv too, and just how we can incorporate that, that into our lives. Like I feel like you're a very joyful person and a playful person. How do you incorporate play into your life? Do you incorporate play? I feel like, you know, being the mother of an almost 10 year old, she is my constant reminder of just the power of our imagination and the power of play. And at some point we just stop, we stop playing. We stop this whole make-believe and we're like, oh, we got to become grownups and focus on bullshit tasks and become like little robots, but play, I mean, it's been scientifically proven to radically transform health and your life and well-being. but do you incorporate play in your oh life? So funnily enough, um, I think I was so like everyone else, so rocked and so beaten down and so sort of PTSD from everything that happened in 2020 with COVID. You know, my business was shut down overnight. I lost all my revenue. My husband lost his job. I mean, just lots of trauma. And so many of us, a lot of death and uh, trauma and um, hard stuff. And so I got real serious. Yeah. And I, mama bear did everything she could to fire up and protect her business and her life and her baby and her family and do all the things I needed to do that. I got so overscheduled and overplanned that I started to miss the magic. Yeah. And we have this anthem inside the house of and which is the lifestyle that was really built out of the collective trauma. That was the pandemic for me. Um, that we um, leave, it's a 75-25 rule. We leave, get ourselves 75% of the way, way there and leave 25% open for play. And so this year for the first time, because I used to do this a lot and I got off the path for two years, but we just now set company, in my company, we do play goals. So we have to have a certain amount of play every week and we call each other on it. And we literally do these Monday meetings where it's like, great, How'd you play? What'd you do? What'd oh you do? my gosh. And I love that. Yes. It's a requirement because it makes us all more creative and it, you could do it with your family. Great. Yeah. How'd you play today? At the end of every day, what mistakes did you make? I love, I write about in my book, uh, mistake parties. Like, so great. What mistakes did you make? But awesome. How did you play today? So Rhea, I like, we measure it. Cause I know I'm going to get called on it every Monday. So I'm like, great. Okay. Do I need us, whether it's scheduling a date with myself or literally uh, what I did the other day, and this is so fun. Please go do it. It is so fun. And you're right. Kids do this stuff all the time, but there's this little park by my house and I had time and the sun had come out. It got really nice here in Ohio. I literally pulled over my car and just went to swing. I just swung on. Yes. Swing. Oh my gosh. Yes. And my I, trampoline. I'm on the trampoline all the time. Yes. 
<laughs> yes. Like even something so simple. I had my little Starbucks and I was like, it's sunny out. I put oh. in some music and I just swung. So like kids do that when they're little, they're like, mom, look at me, my cartwheels. And oh my yeah. God, look at my drawing. And the older we get, we're like, oh my God, dim my light. Please don't look at me. Get away from me. And like, oh my God, I'm so dumb. And like, I'm not smart. What are you talking about? This is an old dress. Don't thank me about oh. that. Like we did. Oh. You know, don't even get started on the compliments, like the, the compliments. Like, compliments, like, oh no. I mean, wh- when do we stop receiving? When do yeah. we stop? So, play helps you reignite that. So, yes, we are like, it's a part of our company wide goals oh. now. Um, oh. And I just, so knowing it's a goal, I measure it, I keep a post it, I make sure. So, whether it's stopping the swing or like, getting a manicure on a Monday or literally getting lost in a new museum, going to a town two doors over, just like sit in a coffee shop and watch people like, or, I mean, I get so many ideas, right. When I get out of the hustle and into my heart. Yeah. So So I love that you say that. I I feel like so many people are just on autopilot and Mm -hmm. are living groundhog day. And I think we're starting to come out of it. Thank God. Um, but it, it can be very easy to just like fall into these routines and patterns and get in this rut and then just be overrun by fear and anxiety. So if someone is there and just feels really stuck, like, do you have any active advice to get them to take action and, and take those risks and just kind of break out of their day to day? Yes. And you can use and to do that. So my, we hear it all the time. I think the number one thing we hear from people in our community and our clients, all of it is how do I get unstuck? How do I get unstuck? I want more control over my time, my money, my health, my wealth. I'm like, you don't want control. You want freedom. That's what we want. We want freedom. We all want. We We all all want that freedom, right? (laughs) Freedom to do work we love the way we want with people that rock, right? And to have fun along the way. So if you are stuck right now, there's two ways to look at this. Uh, Number one, use and. It, It is additive. It means you need to add something new. Fear has jumped into your driver's seat and is, has taken control because you're afraid. You're afraid to try something new. You're afraid people are going to make fun of you. You're afraid your kid's going to be mad because you go do something for mom. You're, you're afraid. You're afraid of what the neighbor's going to think. You're afraid that your boss is going to fire you if you set a boundary. Like So fear is calling the shots. There's this great story of a baby elephant. So like we have all these limiting beliefs. So there's this great, you have to hear the story. So it's this great story of a baby elephant that um, was tied to a fence, okay? And it grew up its whole life sort of tied to this fence. And it, was, it would try to wriggle out from the fence and get away from the fence and it just could never break free. So the baby elephant finally gave up and was like, ah, yo, I'm just tied to this fence and this is like my life. Well, that baby elephant grows up to become a big old badass elephant with a gargantuan, gargantuan legs and a massive trunk and beautiful tusks and becomes this magical creature. And the baby elephant has now become a big elephant and it could 100% break free from that fence, man. It could go run into the wild and live its life, but because it is believed that it couldn't, that it was tied to this, this fence from its littlest age, it remained stuck. So I ask you, if you're hearing the story right now, what's your fence, mm. right? That's a limiting belief. A limiting belief is a fence. It's you saying, 
I'm a bad mom if I this, or I don't have the money to, or I'm not smart enough to, or I, my body isn't made for that. Or my, I, I, I'm just wound up. I could never relax. So meditation isn't for me. It's something someone has either said to you when you were a kid or something that was rooted in sometimes our youth that you have carried with you your whole life. And you will never get unstuck from that fence. If you don't first begin to believe that you can be unstuck from the fence. And number two, add something new to try and move away. I mean, imagine if that elephant started kicking the bottom, you know, rung of the fence, it might realize, oh, shit, I can break the fence. So, okay, I've added something new. So it's kind of a, a, you know, a goofy example, but I think a powerful one too, because if you're stuck in your writing, in in your creative process, go for a walk. That's my number one tip. Go for it out. Go (laughs) movement is medicine. So just add something new, pick up the phone instead of texting someone, um, go on zoom camera. If you hate going on camera and see what happens, raise your hand first in a meeting, wear a new color, put on a new lipstick, eat Thai food. If you've never had Thai food, like literally do something new. Oh, I love that so much. That's an and that's an and moment. What's your fence? I mean, I love, I love that question and everybody should really think about that. What's your fence? fence? Okay. Last thing we're going to do today. I kind of love to do these little round Robin questions at the end. It's improv. I just got excited. Yes. It's improv. That's what I mean. Scratch round Robin. This is a total improv round. This is an improv game. Kind of say anything that, that comes to mind. Okay. Ready? Okay. Um, biggest thing that you've learned on your path to publication? That you don't need to have a PhD or be a straight A student to write books. Love that. Can I get that in writing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Love that. Favorite thing to do when you're not working? Lift weights. Me too. Yes. I just started. I hired a trainer in November and it is changing my mind and my life. Oh, you're so lucky that you're starting later in life though. Cause I've been really? out of my body since I was like three and Damn. now I'm just like, I need to do yoga and Pilates and like, but yes, I love that. <laughs> um, if you could be an expert in anything, what would it be? Oh, I would love to rock a turntable. I'd be DJ Megan Taylor. I would DJ. DJ. Yes, I would DJ. I I love it. I love it. My husband and I talk about that. What it would be like to have that huge crowd in the palm of your hand. And just, I think that would be one of the most like erotic experiences. (laughs) Just playing like music and architecting these beats yourself and bringing joy. Oh, yeah. I'd be a DJ. Love it. Um, what's one thing everybody should do more of? Laugh, play. Oh my gosh. Yes. Um, favorite way to support other women. Ooh, uh, share their work, hire them, write checks to their business, buy their books, leave fucking reviews. Um, all those things, share love reviews. Yes. Yeah. You're so, you are one of the supportive people that I know supporting other women. So I think that's incredible. Mm. Um, in this chaotic world, how do you stay grounded? Well, my husband, 
my dogs, my, my little life here in Ohio that we're about to transport to Scottsdale in a couple months. So, um, but my, my home, my husband, uh, you know, dinners with him and hanging out with my stepsons, just my family, like mm-hmm. that, that rooted yep. group of people that no matter what happens in the media, no matter what happens in the world, like we got each other. Oh, I love that. Uh, beer or wine? I'm a wine girl. Yes. Coffee or tea? Coffee, as yeah, I got my iced coffee I right here. Decaf, but you know. Um, fiction or nonfiction? Oh, I cannot choose that. I know it's uh, tough. It's too tough. But if you put me up against a wall, oh, oh, Rhea, this is painful. You know, and I hate to say this to a fiction author, even though I know you've written nonfiction. Um, I would I have to say. I would say nonfiction because it really began my, like without that, those early personal development works like War of Art and, and Icarus Deception by Seth Godin. And, you know, some of those early works that I, I started reading. Um, I don't know if I would have uh, felt brave enough to be where I am here today. So I I'd it. say nonfiction. I, I pick nonfiction as well. I love nonfiction. Hmm. Um, best book you've read this year, which I know we're only in March. Do you have any? Um, well, obviously, um, I do it. Okay. So if I were to go fiction, I, I would say your recent book oh my, is, is my favorite nonfiction or not, you know, my fiction, my favorite fiction of the year, but oh. my favorite, it really was so good. Oh my God. Thank that character. You. I still can't. So, um, I would say my, my favorite, um, you know what? And maybe I'll just add another one because I can't think of personal development, but I am just about done with um, the storyteller, Dave Grohl's biography um, oh, yeah. of his life. I listened to it on audiobook um, because I like biographies like that on audiobook. I don't necessarily need my highlighter, but well, the story of like him and Nirvana and, you know, I just love his music and I love drummers and it, it yeah. is, it is really good. And there's some beautiful lessons in there that'll just sort of unexpectedly blow you away. So I think the storyteller um, has sort of pleasantly surprised me this year. I love that. I love that. Um, who or what has had the biggest impact on your writing? Oh, wow. Um, I would say it has to be Jen Sincero. You are a badass. Um, her book was the first time I read a nonfiction that I was like, Oh, she is literally big. She drops F bombs. She's so herself. She's this older woman who is in the basement of a garage and now has built this thing. And so her book sort of, um, and she was the first person when I met her at a book signing that I ever publicly said my book idea to out loud in 2018, to which she leaned into me and said, Ooh, that's so good. I may have to steal it. Oh, what? To which I then ran home and said, I got to trademark this idea. I got to start. And that's how I began the book. And I got to say one more thing, Rhea, about this. So talk about serendipity and leaving room for the magic and putting your stake in the round and untying yourself from the fence that you're not smart enough. Uh, Last year, I got to share the keynote stage with Jen. She was opening. I was closed. And I shit you not, I had my team reach out to her team because I was like, what do I have to lose? Like, I've got to meet her in our keynotes were so far apart that I would have missed her, but I still would have went backstage to try and find her. But I wanted like quality time to like thank her and to like literally show her the book to be like, look, I did it. Like you may not remember me, but I did it, you know? And, um, so her team reaches out and of course we get a brick wall. And then all of a sudden her agent comes back and goes, actually, 
would you be willing to meet her for coffee right before her talk? So I get to meet her, sit down and have fucking eggs and a cappuccino yeah. with Jen Sincero and tell her that story in person. And let me tell you, um, oh, I have chills. Like I, I did too. Full yeah. moment, full moment. But yes, that book. So I, I think it's a great question because um, it, yes, let books inspire you. Let writing styles inspire yeah. you. Let the way an author structures her book inspire you. And then the challenge is to go make it your own. Oh, I feel like she has done that for so many people. Cause I remember too, when I discovered her and her books, I was like, oh, oh shit. That was my same reaction. Just, and can I tell you one more thing about her? She, yeah. I asked her about the list in New York times and all this stuff. Like, I was like, so like, how, did that just happen? She goes, no, I like self-published this book. Yes. Four years, four years yeah. later. She became yes. a I knew that story. And so many people just think she was an overnight success and it did not happen that way. Um, so yes, that is, that is such an important piece of her story. Oh, I just, I love how I I couldn't believe it. Oh, it was just a moment. We were screaming, jumping up and down in the office. It's happening. And then, you know, of course, when I meet her, I remain really cool. Like, oh, I'm not fangirling, but like shaking on the inside. Yeah. And oh. really introverted, very, very introverted. Like I even asked her for a photo and she goes, can I think about that first? Wow. Yeah. So okay. when we talk about boundaries, instead yeah. of shaming someone, just you know, respect it, study it. And she took a photo with me, even did a boomerang. But yes. um, yeah, she's, she's a cool chick. That's awesome. Um, what is one woman owned business that you think everyone should know about? Um, I think... Um, oh my God, there are so I know there's so many. It's kind many. of many. <laughs> um, like yours, mine, Jessica's wives. Oh my god, Keisha, this 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 beautiful entrepreneur who makes these incredible uh necklaces. So I don't know, maybe I give a nod to um some of our mutual friends. I, yeah. you know, let's talk about Tolly Kogan, one of the most incredible oh, stylists. She is even, incredible. incredible, incredible, like phenomenal. So Holly Kogan, she's a must. You know, if you ever want to get your personal branding game together, our girl Jess Swag, DJ Megan Taylor will rock your event. Rhea Fry um, will make you a better writer. I mean, come on. Uh, we've got a, a good gang right here in this like Midwestern, although you're in Nashville, aren't you? I'm in Nashville now. Nashville, yeah. yeah. Which is yeah. Midwest-ish, but I would say those are some of the top. And I'm, I'm, we're working with Jessica right now. You know, my company um, did a six month contract with her and I'm Holly styling me again in, in <gasps> April. So. So oh those are some of my faves. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And um, just your biggest piece of advice for aspiring authors out there. I think, um, well, first of all, nose down, it takes work, right? You got to sit down at the desk and you got to show up. You actually got um, to do the thing. Yeah. As I stretch out to like, you got to do it. You got to work. Yep. Then that is the secret to success. There is work involved. But there's this very uh, very popular pop culture advice that goes around that is fake it till you make it. And I think it's uh, make it till you make it. And just keep moving, just keep working, just keep following the ands. You'll say yes to writing a book and you're going to sit your ass in the chair and you're going to write it and you're going to learn something about yourself in that process you may invent something new a new character you find out a new direction just keep following those ands and that's how we make it until we actually make it you know you don't want to fake anything you want to be yourself in the process 
Can we like recoin that phrase? Yeah, I love that. I just, make it until you make it. Fucking make <laughs> it. Don't fake it. Like I get we have to act as if sometimes. Lord knows I have. Hello, having sure. eggs with Jensen Cheryl. Are you kidding me? Sure. Like, of course <laughs> I had to act more confident than I was, but I also knew I was worthy of that moment. I had also worked just as hard to be there for different reasons and that nothing else defines you. No sure. Instagram post, no list, no, no review, like you define you. And that's how you actually make it. You make it by showing up every day, being brave enough to be yourself, even if other people don't like it. And that's oh, the gift. Oh my gosh, Judy, you're so incredible. I could talk I to you all day. You. Um, I know. Will you tell people if they want to learn more about you, what you do, buy your books, where do they go and where can they connect with you? I love it. So a, a quick Google search uh, with my name, Judy, J-U-D-I, holler, H-O-L-L-E-R. <laughs> um, we'll get you to all the places. My website's judyholler.com. We also have a lifestyle brand that really helps people lean into the transformational power of and and unlock potential. So that is house, H-A-U-S of and, and we're on Instagram and all the good stuff, but a little gift. So we have a, um, a monthly mentorship inside the house of Anne that really helps people explore these ideas from the improv theater and apply them to the unscripted stage of their everyday lives. And if your listeners want to come try it out for free, um, they would just need to go to houseofand.com, click our mentorship tab, um, go to the cart, put the, the mentorship in their cart and use open the door at checkout and they'll get a free month. And oh, that free month, oh, by the way, that free month will give you access to the previous month. So you can like binge content. So try before you buy, come hang out. It's me live that. literally with you every month. And we do office hours and we just, um, just freaking get shit done and have fun while we're doing it. So if you want to come play with us, uh, that's a great way to do it for free. Amazing. We'll put all of that in the show notes. So generous. Thank you so much for being here today. You were such a delight and a breath of fresh air. I need some of your energy, Um, (laughs) but thank you. Happy to share it. I got you. This was fun. Thanks for listening to Right Way Presents The Real Story. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and comment. And for more information on The Real Story and Right Way, visit rightwayco.com.